0: Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. I am a religion recovery coach who helps people with life after religion. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pleasure. Hello, everyone. I am here with Janice Selby. She was raised in evangelical Christianity and later became a Mennonite during her husband's Bible college years. She homeschooled and she wore a head covering and was very conservative. Her marriage got harder as the years went on and tragedies happened in her life that could not be explained if a loving God existed. She divorced her husband and religion and went back to school to become a registered professional counselor. She connected with Marlene Winnell, who coined the term Religious Trauma Syndrome, and Marlene wrote the book Leaving the Fold, which many deconstructionists have used and people leaving religions, which me included. Um, Dr. Winnell is Selby's friend and mentor, and... Um, Janice founded the Conference on Religious Trauma, and this October she is starting the Shameless Sexuality Conference, Life After Purity Culture. How are you today?
1: Well, it sounds like I'm busy, according to what yes. you just said.
0: I know, like I was writing out my intro, I was like, wow, I'm like, this busy we have a lot to cover (laughs) yeah
1: go for it thanks for inviting me on
0: Uh, of course like i've been super excited because like i usually go on social media i'm like who is open about sharing their story online because those are the people i'm like okay i know that they'll be comfortable coming on this podcast and then you know I saw oh well she founded the conference on religious trauma which I wish I could have attended but I could not unfortunately but mm-hmm. I really want I really wanted to well, um
1: the good news for you is now I have a uh, YouTube channel set up and people can go there and for free all oh. of the sessions from 2021, are being posted on there
0: and also oh. sessions from 2022 are still for sale the recordings so oh that's great okay yeah. i'll definitely look into that Right on. um and so i know this podcast is about You know personal stories i know we'll definitely get into the work that you're doing now but i think Mm -hmm. your story is really a big reason to why you've gotten into the work that you do now and so i think you know starting from the very beginning is important so tell me what your experience and upbringing was like in evangelical christianity Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so I'm uh, in Canada, I'm in British Columbia. Um, so so Canada feels kind of different from America in the sense that religion is not everywhere here. We're not saturated with it. You don't have people, strangers saying God bless you or that sort of thing. Uh, but my folks um, were um, Christians. So they were they were deeply uh, religious and quite serious about their faith. So every Sunday was church and you know, my dad would speak in tongues at home and they would anoint me with oil when I was sick. Um, It was we, you know, we certainly didn't swear or cuss or uh, there were rules about what I could and couldn't wear but we had TV and I went to public school. So it was there was kind of a constant tension in my life because I realized I wasn't I didn't have the same home environment as most of the kids I went to school with uh and I really wanted to please my parents my my dad is uh unfortunately a narcissist so that when you combine that with fundamentalism Mm, it can be for um just quite a difficult Upbringing, very volatile temper and uh, aggression, and um, lots of emotional abuse, and uh, it was it, it was kind of a scary place to grow up. And so I developed a love of rules and rule following very early on, because I recognized if I could follow those rules, I would be safe from my dad's wrath, unless he changed the rules or whatever happens. So that kind of that went on for me, got very deep as I got older and older. So, uh, but another thing about being raised in an evangelical family in Canada in the 70s, uh, when I was four years old, my mom said to me, "You're you're getting a sister today," and I thought, "Oh, okay." And then, sure enough, the doorbell rang. There's a little indigenous girl standing there with a suitcase. Uh, and she came inside and, I, and and she was raised as my sister, but we had uh, something going on here at that time called the Scoop, the 60s Scoop, where our CMP and social workers basically raided our um, reserves, our Indian reserves, that's what they were called at the time. Where they lived and just stole away all the children and and uh, put them in um, white evangelical homes and they did that all across Canada and even into the states. Some of the children, the parents never saw them again.
2: Oh wow! So,
1: the the Christian people, like my parents, thought that they were doing the right thing and mm-hmm. you know saving these children from terrible situations. And yes, yeah, some of the situations were pretty hard. But the answer is not to destroy. Mm -hmm. families yeah uh so that also was a part of my upbringing that was unusual i haven't connected with a lot of other folks uh who 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 had uh 60 scoop survivors brought into their families and raised with them so that was an interesting part as well um towards the end of high school i started to rebel some and you know, chafed at the, at the religiosity, um, joined a rock band, started playing in different uh, pubs and oh, bars yes. and mm-hmm. weddings and having fun, of course, started having sex at that time too, which was very, well, I mean, it was enjoyable, but it was also, there was always this huge amount of guilt the whole time. I just was cloaked in guilt and shame uh, because I really liked pleasure. Um, and then in my early 20s, I had a back to Jesus moment, come back to Jesus. And in a Pentecostal church, because Pentecostal was the flavor that I was used to. And uh, and I never looked back after that. I ended up marrying a man introduced to me by my pastor, and he was becoming a pastor. And then when we were at the Bible College, a very conservative Bible college in the Canadian Prairies, I started seeing these women in the grocery store there. Uh, And they would come in and they were wearing these head coverings. They're always very modestly dressed in uh, longish skirts and, you know, that sort of thing. And I asked my then husband, are these Amish? I didn't think we had Amish here. And he said, no, they're not Amish. They're uh, Mennonite and they're following the New Testament. Uh, So then I read the New Testament and saw that. Hmm, this, these instructions are in here for how women are supposed to dress, no jewelry, uh, you know, kind of plain and modest and, and when we pray, our hair is to be covered and we're always to be in an attitude of prayer. And I thought my marriage was difficult. for various reasons, and I thought, okay, a head covering is going to also remind me to be submissive because that does not come natural to me. And uh, <laughs> And so I asked my husband for his permission to start wearing a head covering, and he said it was okay with him, but he never, never pushed it. And mm-hmm. uh, that really started my deep dive into fundamentalism. so I became much more constrained and confined than my parents ever were. Um, and that went on for a few years. and I at that time also started homeschooling our children so that, you know, a lot of religious folks who homeschool are also very, very conservative. Mm-hmm. So that uh, helped me go even deeper. It's my my ex-husband, he explained it uh, as saying that I was drawing my circle, I was making my circle ever smaller. If you can imagine Mm-mm.
0: that yeah isolating yourself but, from yeah. the world
1: <laughs> yeah exactly i was and it was with the very best of uh, intentions i just loved my mm-hmm. children so much and uh, i feared what with what could happen to them i mean i knew mm-hmm. i got i got yeah. uh pulled aside by the devil like with with my rock music and uh, <laughs> sex, you and know, all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff um And I didn't I didn't want that for my daughters. And of course, I wanted my daughters to be perfect, perfect little housewife type uh, creatures. yeah yeah, very Stepford wife kind of thing that's a reference for any of your older listeners there but just kind of zombies that sort of idea oh no replicating Mm. Uh, so that's that's what was going on with us and and my husband after a few years he just he really wasn't very interested in the ultra conservatism he saw that it was he was pastoring by then and Mm. he saw that it was creating a like a barrier, say, between me and other women in the congregation, because I was the only one that covered, because we were at a Pentecostal church, not a church. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when he asked me to uh, stop wearing a covering, I was really hurt, uh, because Mm -hmm. I felt like it was something I was doing to honor God and to honor him, to honor my husband, Mm -hmm. to help me remember submission and so forth. And then we had um, a couple years that were just very calamitous, lots of awful tragedies striking our family, one after another. And so my folks split up after over 40 years, and my nephew went to prison Mm -hmm. for killing someone and just all sorts of stuff. And we didn't even have time to recover. And we lost the pastor. And then our youngest daughter uh, was stricken with a life-threatening illness. And that was the last straw for me, because I didn't know anyone else who had been as devoted, like who Mm. had been so all in for the gospel, witnessing to strangers, like just, I really tried so hard to do everything that I thought the Bible told me to do. And then basically just suffered a a shit storm just with no relief Mm, all sorts of terrible things coming at us all the time and so i decided i must have bet on the wrong horse it mustn't be christianity Mm. and uh started gave myself permission at that point to start looking elsewhere
0: so how long did it take you to begin deconstructing and even begin thinking walking away because like i know when you're in it for years and you're indoctrinated it's not easy to do that. So what was that process like for you?
1: It was um, liberating and terrifying. Mm. I, I, since I had already tasted the world, I'm doing my air quotes for your listeners or tasted the things of the world. Yeah. I, I was excited to, uh, it's like if you hold a beach ball underwater too long and then take your hands off and the ball comes up, right? And all the water splashes. Yeah, in. that's kind of what it felt like, or my very tight, restrictive corset of Christianity finally snapped and I just came tumbling out. And so I was, I could breathe again, I could breathe again and start maybe enjoying some things from my past things that have been off Mm. limits. But I also still very much believed in God and um, that hell was a possibility. And so that was super hard for me because I thought I i'm old enough to make my decision and if it's the wrong decision okay i can pay the consequences but my children if my children Mm -hmm. reject what's potentially true because i've rejected it and then they have to suffer for it that was um really painful and hard and i also didn't have anyone to talk to i didn't know anyone else who had um walked away and so my Mm -hmm. i was no contact basically with my christian friends like a a couple of them warned me that they thought i was on the road to perdition um (laughs) my parents didn't say too much of anything my our marriage was really difficult at that time and we were very focused on our daughter's uh health because she could have died and so it's like we all retreated to opposite corners and we're just trying to cope and exist and um get by so that was that started when i was about 38 or 39 Mm -hmm. when i really started questioning might have even been 40 and i had gone back to work at this time, because we moved back to our hometown, which is very expensive. So we put the kids in Christian school rather than homeschooling. And I took a job at the hospital. And that was the first time I was really interacting with unsaved, mm-hmm. heathen people um, <laughs> in, in many, many years. And uh, there was this one gal that I really clicked with. I thought she she's very bright, just a very intelligent woman, very independent woman. And we could have some really good conversations. And she and I were in a cafe having coffee. And I leaned into her and I said, I, I had a really upsetting thought last night. She said, "What? what was it? And I said... I'm wondering if maybe Adam and Eve weren't actually real people. Maybe there was no talking snake in a garden. And I was dead serious. (laughs) My friend. I'm afraid she couldn't help letting out a a, a giggle. And she because she here she thought <laughs> this was gonna be like something really serious. And for me it was, but she said, Oh, Jan, you know, I figured that one out when I was about seven or eight. But I'm glad you're I'm glad you're catching up. She mm. said, Yes, they're they're not real. It's just it's just metaphor or allegory or yeah. however you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But to me, that was Earth shattering because I'd I'd mm. been raised to only believe the gospel as literal. You know, I was to not stay. If the teacher was talking about evolution, I wasn't to be any part of it or accept any part of it. Mm. Um yeah, so it's like trying to live with a foot in both worlds when I was growing up, and it's very confusing.
0: hmm And so what resources did you have to deconstruct?
1: I had uh bookstores and that was about it. But there weren't mm-hmm. books I didn't I'd never heard of Dr. Winnell or her work. And mm-hmm. I wasn't even sure I would sit the, the internet was like relatively new around yeah. that time and uh, mm-hmm. so I'm trying to think of what what to even type in do I put I'm uh, I'm losing my faith mm-hmm. and then you just get all sorts of Christian you know uh, advice on what to do I yeah. didn't know no one was using the word deconstruction I didn't even think to type deconversion or anything like that mm-hmm. I just I felt so isolated I told people I felt like I was alone in a dingy, a gray dingy on a gray ocean in a gray fog. Mm. And I couldn't see anyone and I didn't know where the shore was. It was just really disconcerting. And I felt untethered um, as I saw my identity dissolve all around me. Mm. I I was no longer a homeschool mom. Uh, Eventually I was no longer a wife. I was no longer a Christian. Those Those
0: are who I was. Yeah. And like, it's tough. I can imagine how hard that is because in those patriarchal environments, your value is put on are you a good wife? Are you a mother? Can you actually have children? How good are you? So, like, when that is stripped away, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, where does my value come from? Where does my worth come from? I think it's really, really sad how, in these patriarchal environments, how We really objectify these women as like servants, really, um, and just caretakers. And we just put them in this role. And like, thankfully, you know, I think there are a lot of churches that are trying to move forward. There are a lot of churches that aren't, (laughs) are trying to go back. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so there definitely there's been a there's always been a mixed reaction in the religious community and of course the fundamentalist when modernism happened, they just separated like no, like
1: yes, Yes, that's right. And I I really just I feel like I can relate to that because of my own fear around breaking rules and that I felt Mm -hmm. like I had to keep myself very, very confined or or I could lose uh lose everything. Um, so yeah, Mm -hmm.
2: it's,
1: it's frustrating. I don't, I'm, I'm not religious now, uh, at all. I don't hold any religious beliefs Mm -hmm. and I really have great compassion for people who are just on this journey now the same yeah. as me who you know mm-hmm. that are going maybe it's not true maybe it's not the way that i was taught maybe i don't have the the truth and i've just been mm-hmm. indoctrinated and yeah. that is so disconcerting and of course the world at large does not recognize our grief and recognize what's happened to us Mm -mm. so you still have to go to school and work and keep earning a living Um, Mm. but meanwhile you're it plunged into the deepest existential crisis
0: Mm. yes because you know i think the thing that is so addicting about religion and especially fundamentalism is like number one fundamentalism gives you so much structure yeah and it just gives you all the answers it gives you a purpose and it, it can give you value I've seen a lot of it disvalue people too but like I know in some instances I really heard a lot of contradictory messaging <laughs> growing up so it was interesting it was one week we were worthless sinners deserving of hell one yeah. week one yeah. week oh you're chosen by god you're god's child mm-hmm. people who aren't saved they're like bastards or whatever of satan or <clears throat> just all these just back and forth so i'm like i think it can certain denominations or churches can act give you a sense of feeling special or that you have value yes
1: um
0: yes and just giving you that comfort and giving you that at least illusion of certainty
1: yes and this is that's such a great point i'm glad you touched on it because this is something that religions cults conspiracy groups Mm -hmm. uh, what they all have in common is they all attract Good, good people, like well-intentioned mm-hmm. people, uh, and it's people who are vulnerable. So if mm. I was vulnerable because I was a child, I didn't know any different. But if someone yeah. might be alone at college for the first time, or maybe their husband or wife has passed away or something. So they're vulnerable. And what we all crave is certainty, security. Mm order and yeah. acceptance yes. and each of those groups that's what they deliver uh in space. and so to mm. step away from that uh and of course when our identity is enmeshed with our ideology so it's mm. not just i believe the bible but it's i yeah. am a christian like it's who i am then as yeah. soon as anyone starts pointing out flaws in the ideology mm-hmm. we immediately interpret it as they're pointing out flaws in our identity and then mm-hmm. we get very upset with that. yeah, I get really riled up about it. So it's quite a difficult um, journey mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious for you how what things do you find outside of religion that could meet those emotional and social needs? ever crucial to your well-being and how do you find yourself and have your own identity really
1: um the probably the most helpful thing uh connecting with Marlene with Dr. Winnell was huge Mm -hmm. and so before I connected with her the only thing I could think of to do was start researching cults and extremism. I didn't think at that time that I had come out of a cult. I thought it was Mm -hmm. like pretty mainstream Um, but I recognized some of the things I was having to grapple with worse were the same or similar to people who had left uh, cults so I started doing that research early on and trying to educate myself to figure out what happened mm-hmm. then uh, I saw dr Winnell on a on the internet on a news show being interviewed about something that had happened and I was I felt like, oh, my God, there's one other person. There's someone in the Mm. world who can understand. I got her contact information and phoned her up and had a chat with her. And she invited me and said, well, you better come to a retreat. This was when she was still in San Francisco. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: so I started um, doing that and reading her book. And the pieces just started fitting together and and Mm -hmm. things started opening up. My understanding expanded of what I had just been through and why it was impacting me the way it was. And I had also gone back to school. When my marriage ended, I went back to school to become a registered professional counselor. And so that really um, exposed me to the idea of uh, grief and different types of grief Mm. and how those impact people. And that was really helpful as well, as far as educating myself, because we do enter a profound grief state when we lose uh, everything, the way you do, when Mm. you leave religion.
0: Oh, yes, definitely. And so what led you to the conclusion that you wanted to be a counselor? Because that is a big jump of, I want to be a submissive wife, have children, to I'm leaving religion. I want to be a counselor and help people work through this. So tell me about the process that got you to that point.
1: I think, like most mental health clinicians, um, it started in family of origin. So mm. I mentioned my dad is a narcissist um, and my mom quite codependent, and narcissists and codependents go together. Mm, yes. So it, you know, meant that I grew up in a, somewhat volatile uh, and difficult uh, mm-hmm. environment there was also a lot of uh, love there uh, mm-hmm. quite close to my mom yeah
2: um
1: and so my i have an older brother who uh became a nurse and works in the psychiatric unit of the mm-hmm. hospital um. and i uh it made sense to me to um become a a counselor i love listening to people i love stories i love helping Mm -hmm. people many christians become counselors and in fact that can be problematic there are i would say in my town way Mm. more christian i got my air quotes again christian counselors than there are secular ones and Mm -hmm. i I really don't agree with that i think it's um hazardous for people who are navigating Mm.
0: religious trauma yeah most definitely um it's interesting because i recently my latest episode of my podcast it's actually it was called dangers of biblical counseling oh. <laughs> and i fa- thankfully met someone who studied biblical counseling for eight years like they got their undergrad wow. and their masters in biblical counseling and mm-hmm. then when they graduate with their masters they're like this is like bs this is so <laughs> dangerous they woke up after right eight. on right on Boy. And it was interesting because this person went to the school that I was um, expelled from, which was Bob Jones University right. in yes, Greenville, yes, South Carolina. Yes. yes. And so, you know, it's interesting because I think Christian counseling is a little bit more of a broader term than biblical Um because it's interesting because I have looked into Christian counseling programs at Christian schools just out of curiosity mm-hmm. to see, like, okay, are they actually using psychology or right. is this, are they just like calling it Christian? Is it really biblical counseling? Like, what do they actually right. mean? And so I think not every school is the same, but I I was looking into Liberty and like, I think thankfully they're making progress. There's a lot more <laughs> to mm-hmm. go with them. At Liberty, they actually acknowledge psychology as right. a helpful thing right. um but at bob jones though they do not acknowledge psychology right. Right. at all so
1: all their so with bob jones uh, type counseling if they would j- only be able to be referring people back to the bible biblical examples and mm, what yes. god wants and my concern mm-hmm. is even though so counselors are supposed to be uh Mm-hmm. Not, not to allow their personal beliefs to influence their interactions yeah. with clients at mm-hmm. all. But when if you believe 100% the Bible is true, mm-hmm. then you have a mandate to be yes. out there preaching the gospel and mm-hmm. grabbing people and saving them from the, the mm-hmm. grip of, of hell. And so I think it would be almost impossible for counselors not to to just really try and encourage that wife Mm -hmm. to stay with her husband, no matter, no matter Uh, what, and they, this is where the damage can um, come in, or people, there tends to be with Christianity and other uh, Abrahamic religions, a lot of judgment, and what we mm -hmm. need uh, instead is a lot of curiosity. Yes. You need to get rid of the judgment and just get really curious so people feel safe to open up and to explore themselves and their own motivations.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. And like when I was talking with this guest about it, because unfortunately I've been in biblical counseling before while I was at Bob Jones because they have no therapist there. They have no one that has credentials mm-hmm. on campus. And so it was something I definitely like, I was very cautious because I didn't trust it at all, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I was still curious yeah, kind of about it because I have heard different things, but you know, so many people have been so damaged by biblical counseling yeah. and mm-hmm. I hope we can continue to bring more awareness to that practice, but kind of going into what you were saying is that, you know, it's interesting because when I interviewed that guest there, we really talked a lot about how there's like not an ethical code in Ethical Counseling, whereas like secular therapists, like there is some kind of ethical code or code of ethics that you'll run by like you can't, for example, the most obvious one is like what happens in that room stays in that room, you know, unless they're going to hurt someone or themselves, is it a yes. circumstances. otherwise you cannot, it's confidential. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. But in biblical counseling, there are so many instances of the biblical counselor turning around and telling family members or different people about different things. And so then when that person, that client or whatever, or victim really um, finds out that this counselor has been telling people about their different issues or different problems, that trust is lost. And like you said, then there's that judgment
1: and that can, that can be deadly if a, if oh, a woman is if a woman mm. is in a dangerous situation and considering leaving her partner mm-hmm. and then yeah. the oh that is just inexcusable mm-hmm. that's too yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah because like it was interesting because like when i was expelled from bob jones and i you know i decided to stay in greenville and not go back home to my Crazy, conservative, the <laughs> church. I was like, let yeah. not, it was time to go. I decided that for a few years, but, you know, it was interesting to see different people who reached out to me from the college. And there was one person who was actually, they just graduated with an undergrad that had nothing related to the Bible at all. And they're like, yeah, they're like, I'm going to get my master's in biblical counseling. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my gosh, like, no. Mm. So I didn't say anything in the, in the message online. I'm like, I met with them. Just to just, I didn't want to, because I know, like I, I, you know, I used to be that person. I used to like buy into all of it right. and have a very dogmatic fundamentalist mindset. So I try to just let this person explain. And the thing that worries me the most about biblical counseling is that it's based on belief. Well, I believe this is going to work.
1: Yes, Yes. it's not evidence-based. No,
0: it's not. It's not, not
1: evidence-based. And I encourage people also to um, explore things like the BITE model by Dr. Stephen yes. Hadsden. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and also Lifton's uh, eight pr- criteria oh, yes. for thought control. Mm. And it's, I mean, if you, If you use that lens to look at whatever group Mm. you're leaving or whatever group you're part of, it can give you a good indicator of Mm. if there are cultic tendencies in the group or in the leader. And that's Mm -hmm. super uh, important for people Mm. to be aware of. And, And Christians in particular are raised to be easy prey. And of mm, course, predators love to ensconce yeah. and, and themselves in positions of power. And so we see that then in the church, if you have been raised that you must always turn the other cheek, then you must always forgive. Uh, mm. And you learn to be a very good secret keeper because you don't want to get mm. anyone in trouble. Yeah. And then, of course, all the shame around uh, uh. sexuality, then if the predator is uh, if it's that way, um, you know then then people are scared even to bring it up and they don't want to be seen as quote damaged mm. kids or anything mm-hmm.
2: so yeah yeah
1: there's a lot of dangers mm-hmm. really inherent in um christianity i'm afraid mm-hmm. in abrahamic religions and probably in all religions
0: yes yes most definitely um yeah because like it's, it's interesting because i definitely relate how to you were saying how you didn't realize you grew up in a cultic environment until like you started learning about it And for me, I always thought I grew up in just a really wacko church. But once I actually learned about Lifton's model and Hassan's bite model, and I Looked at it, and I drew connections with my church, and even from Bob Jones, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is a cultic environment." Yes, yes. like it was so funny because there were times my church would talk about cults, and they'd be like, "We're not a cult; they are, and we're right." I mean,
1: we're right. <laughs> yes. and, and That's so true, and it's funny because <laughs> when when people find out I'm a, a counselor, or in Canada, I can also be called mm-hmm. a therapist, yeah. um, and then they right away want to know, "Well, what kind of therapy do I do?" Or what's my area Mm -hmm. of interest and i say religious trauma and they say oh yes it's there's so much trauma except my my religion is not traumatized Uh, at all we mm -hmm. welcome people who've been traumatized like without fail that happens when i'm talking to uh, religious Mm -hmm. people and then of course christians in particular they they have brainwashed themselves to think Mm -hmm. that they're not even part of a religion because they yeah it's just a relationship
0: i've heard that so much too it's so weird to me i'm like okay well then throw the bible in the trash can and have your relationship Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. oh my gosh but like it's a very one-way
1: relationship
0: yes you're talking to a wall
1: yes and 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 that was even that makes it that's one of the elements that makes it even harder to grieve Mm. because we have no body to bury. But we have lost our cosmic big brother, Mm. our cosmic protector. Mm. We thought that God was doing everything for our good, you know, Mm. behind the scenes. And then to get to the realization that it's random, the Mm. universe is random, and terrible things sometimes happen to very good, very innocent Mm. uh, people. that sucks that's mm-hmm. really hard to yeah. accept the fact is, be as much nicer
0: mm-hmm. and so i'm just curious because it's been interesting to see people talk about their experiences so like when you had that cultic mindset and you've been indoctrinated how did you interpret your like in air quotes religious experiences and then how do you look at that now with what you've learned
1: sure yeah um i definitely like i'm a very feeling oriented uh person
0: mm-hmm.
1: and partly that's again family of origin i i didn't develop critical thinking skills mm, and what yeah. was prized was you know did you feel the spirit movement do you feel oh, god in your heart yeah. and so i love pentecostal church oh my because the <laughs> music was so awesome and that and you, you're very lovey dovey you know the people next mm-hmm. to you and you might pray with them and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and i really uh, misinterpreted that as being the holy
2: spirit mm, and i know yeah.
1: mormon folks talk about the burning in the bosom that's how they mm, that's how they know yeah folks know that it's true um and of course now that i've spent some time studying psychology uh mm-hmm. and and looking around at other groups i realized that um, those are actually just results of emotional ma- manipulation mm. and physiological responses that we have mm-hmm. that can actually move us yeah. into a, a different uh frame like an altered state mm-hmm. and then we're more susceptible to the message that's going to be mm. um, fed to us and those feelings feel so good and they bond us to the other people in the group uh, yeah and so we don't we don't want to lose that We don't want to give that up. But now I know I can go to a secular concert. I can go to a football game. Mm -hmm. Well, in Canada, I go to a hockey game. Um, Yeah. (laughs) and, uh, And I can feel that electricity. I can share that. And I feel like one, with mm. the audience or or um you know i've tried various psychedelics yeah. in the years since i've left mm-hmm. and experienced similar kind of spiritual there's like mm-hmm. quotes again spiritual feelings as mm-hmm. a result of uh taking the mm. psychedelics so i know yes. that it's not it's not because there's god and <laughs> the holy spirit it's
0: and yeah. even
1: even non-christian people or whatever they have these experiences too when they try mm-hmm. psychedelics or go to games or concerts
0: mm. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing though is because this person is so isolated in this environment and they're around people who think exactly like them their beliefs are just reinforced over and over again yeah. and they can't compare their experiences to anyone else or anything else at all. Right.
1: and if they did they would say the other one was counterfeit <laughs> yeah like say, that's it's a the devil experience that's right yeah. the devil's just pretending you only <laughs> think you're having a really good time <laughs>
0: Oh, my. Yes, definitely. And so I'm just curious, too, to like, how were the relationships in your family when you started to deconstruct? What was that like?
1: Well, my siblings had all uh, already left the faith. And in fact, Mm -hmm. they started leaving in their teenage years, which caused me to dig in deeper. I'm the youngest. And Mm -hmm. so I saw how... Uh, it upset my parents, and I said to myself, "I'm never going to cause them that Oof. kind of pain. Mm-hmm. I'm really going to be the good girl in the whole family. I'm going to be the yeah. white, white sheep that they
0: going to be, like
1: uh, uh, with my siblings being the the black sheep because they strayed away. Just all that mm. ridiculous nonsense, and yeah, um, so yes, my I think my mom was a bit relieved when I stopped covering she never did wear a head covering she was always more of a she was liberal and was um a business woman my dad I think was disappointed was really disappointed when my husband left the pastorate mm. um and uh so yeah it was it was just a hard time and even now so at this point I'm completely estranged from my father and it's been Mm, quite uh, wonderful um, for me okay (laughs) it it was it was a hard decision Mm, to come to but it's been immensely relieving uh and but i remain very close to my mom and she's in Mm -hmm. her 80s now and she still is a believer she doesn't get out to church and such anymore but she still considers herself a woman of faith and she knows the work that i do Now, Mm. with people recovering from religious trauma, and she tries to understand it and she wants to support me, but again, her response was, Oh, but but my faith it hmm. traumatizing you know to which i did respond have you looked at your children like we you stayed married
2: mm-hmm. because yeah. the
1: bible told you to stay married and you stayed mm-hmm. with an abusive person for decades and decades and we had to cope with the fallout so there mm-hmm. is actually trauma there um, yeah. but to preserve the the peace of our relationship we, Mom and I only go so deep when we're talking mm, about yeah. religious trauma stuff. So any any other topic, we can go as deep as we want. She's very politically minded. She's horrified by what's going on in your country, the mm, GOP.
2: Yeah.
1: She, she, she doesn't mm. understand how Christian people could have got so far off track because she's extremely loving and accepting mm, of
2: yeah. mm. um
1: So... We just don't talk too much about mm. it, it. I don't want her in her 80s to enter a time of existential crisis. Put it that
2: Yeah, way. I um, want her to
1: slide into home plate. I want her to die and think that she's going right into the arms of Jesus. If that's mm-hmm. what yeah. is comforting to her. Because what good would it do her at this age yeah. to think anything else?
2: Mm-hmm. So mm.
1: that's how it is with with my mom and mm-hmm. with other people yeah. that i'm not so close to of course i have there's a degree of frankness that i can have yeah um, with them and certainly with clients it's a it's a completely different thing altogether but yeah some of the relationships um you have to tread really carefully and lightly
0: mm, yes and so i'm just curious when did you first realize you were traumatized by religion because I know religious trauma wasn't coined till twenty eleven. So like that's so new. And so before then How did you realize at least, oh, my gosh, my religion damaged me greatly?
1: Well, um, yeah, Marlene wrote her book uh, about 30 years ago. And in that Mm -hmm. book, she didn't use the phrase religious trauma syndrome. No, she
0: did not. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. So I the only way I was able to kind of figure it out was drawing that line from me over to cult survivors as I was doing mm, that research myself yeah. online and in in books and whatever ways that I could try and uh, figure out what had just happened. But then when I found Marlene and she was talking about religion as being traumatizing, then everything fit. Prior to then, I couldn't really allow myself to think mm-hmm. that Christianity. Yeah was trauma-inducing, uh, but indeed for many people it is, particularly those of us indoctrinated in because mm, yes. Our personalities didn't have the opportunity to grow and develop apart mm. from our parents' religious beliefs. They told us how we were supposed to be what we were supposed to be even what we were supposed to like and dislike So now clients come to me they're in their 40s or whatever and they say i don't even know what i like i don't even know what my favorite color is because mm. i've never been given the freedom to figure it Mm. out and it feels scary now to try and do that on my own
0: yeah yeah like you're not given any kind of autonomy that's exactly it whatsoever period you're just forced into this box or in this role
1: Um, and And you're taught that autonomy is bad
0: oh yes you are most definitely like they love the um the creation myth with um the apple of course all that and so it's been interesting to look back and even deconstruct that and be like oh like if you look at it from a literal perspective god wanted them to remain ignorant and not know anything yes <laughs> so it's like if you look at it by which it's, it's a myth which i've learned which is really also mind-blowing um right. and for me
1: yes go on sorry
0: oh no it's all good and just understanding oh there's a different way to interpret this there isn't one way
1: yes which then has
0: that uncertainty which is kind of scary when you've always been indoctrinated with certainty
1: and and we know that we crave certainty security Mm. and order Mm. um and so i encourage people when they are then embarking on secular parenting because they don't Mm. believe anymore or maybe one maybe their partner is still firmly entrenched in religion one thing to do is get out uh, books and read them with your child or to your child uh, about creation stories from around the Mm. world and really just telling your child, people love stories, you love stories, I love stories. Religion is just another story. Everyone Mm -hmm. has a religion and that story about, you know, how the world came to be. People are just trying to decipher what's going on around Mm. them and understand the world. But these are all just um, stories. They're not literal. Mm
2: -hmm. And I
1: think that can be very helpful for children to know Mm -hmm. that some people just take great comfort uh, from their Mm -hmm. religious stories because it helps them order their world and structure their world. It makes it easier when tragedy strikes. Mm -hmm. If, If we tell ourselves, oh, God, it's part of God's plan. God needed another angel, whatever kind of horrible nonsense that people say Mm -hmm. in times of tragedy, because it makes them feel safer.
0: Mm, Yes, because like for me, I remember when I finally decided, because for a while I had you know, just started deconstructing some concepts. And it took me several years to actually decide to like deconvert. Yeah. So I, I'm 22 now and like I started deconverting at 21. So it's like been over a year I've been Wow, wow. and you've <laughs>
1: and got your podcast. That's so exciting in yes, just a year.
0: I know, and like I've talked to different people, they're like, wow, they're like, I thought you deconverted years ago. And I told them, I'm like, I just do- I dove right into the deep end when I did it, which I don't recommend that for people unless you <laughs> feel ready. It was right. a lot. But for me, you know, I think I discovered religious trauma at 20 years old. And that's when I realized that I had experienced that. And like i had been writing about my experiences, trying to understand them. But then I, when I found the term religious trauma. And I connected that to my personal experiences like, oh, my gosh, like this is what's wrong. Mm-hmm. All these people were telling me that it was my fault, that I wasn't trusting enough, that I wasn't praying enough. I wasn't reading the Bible enough, mm-hmm. but it was them. It was their ideology and the indoctrination and their toxic doctrines and their rhetoric and different things. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, for me, it was just for me, religious trauma. I didn't even when I heard about it, I was too afraid to dig into it. Like I was so afraid mm-hmm. of like all like. I don't know, like letting out so many different things all at once. Yeah. Um, but it took me a while to finally kind of to start dealing with that and realizing, because um, for me, it, when you grow up in a conservative, fundamentalist environment, you're not taught about mental health. Um, trauma isn't really acknowledged right. at all. So like, you know, there's a lot of shame and blame around the struggles um, that you have. And so for me, because of the religious trauma and because of all the indoctrination, like it has, especially like the Bible has such a negative, it was like a parasite, I guess, mm-hmm. like a mental parasite
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. that I was trying to get rid of. So for me, I'm like, if I can just completely debunk a lot of these core things like for example inerrancy was such a big one
1: right which, yes. which, which is
0: very easy to to debunk yeah <laughs> i was really shocked about that too because i had been for years and years, just like the bible's perfect there are no mistakes at all yeah. mm-hmm. and then and, and then
1: <laughs> it's crazy and now we're out of it and we see yeah. oh my god like how did i not <laughs> yes <laughs> that that is crazy but of mm-hmm. course the it, Christians will write it off as mm. saying, who, no one can understand the mind? Uh, God's ways are higher uh, than our ways and He's yes. the God of God of the gaps. You know, yes. if you don't understand it, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Yeah. God has a God has a plan. It's such a like an easy way it, of writing yeah. things off.
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I'm really, what you said that you did, I'm doing a lot of now the research into yeah. cultic environments mm-hmm. and narcissism and different behaviors oh, and the yeah. psychology behind it. And I think those different phrases you are just talking about that they use, I think Stephen Hassan, I think he calls it like thought terminating
1: phrases or cliches. Oh, even. Right. And that's also from Lifton's um eight, oh, is eight criteria. Okay. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. He, he really leans, I think leans heavily on um Lifton because Lifton was the first one to oh, yes. write about it. But uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Hassan really broke it down beautifully yes, he into did. bite-sized mm-hmm. pieces. Yeah and Yanya lolich Dr. Yanya lolich and Um Rick Allen Ross. Mm-hmm. So all of those, those four people are like my go-to people Mm -hmm. for um, looking into cult stuff. And Rick Ross Mm -hmm. spoke at the inaugural conference on religious trauma and Yanya is going to speak um, this next year. Every Mm -hmm. year I hope to have someone with a background in cult, uh, cultic education, cultic Mm -hmm. studies speaking, because even though people hate to think of religion as a cult, it sure shares a lot of the same markers.
0: Yes. Mm, most definitely and so for you how did you work through your religious trauma when did you start doing that and how was that process
1: for me uh so i mentioned attending some of marlene's retreats and reading her book was very helpful and then I set about developing my own mm-hmm. program, the Divorcing Religion Workshop. And that was extremely cathartic for mm-hmm. me. And I called it Divorcing Religion because I just walked through my own marital divorce, you know, after 20 Mm. years, you're you're pretty connected to someone after 20 years, Um, at the same time that I also was losing my faith. So I looked for parallels and it was very easy to see because it's losing your marriage is extremely Mm. uh, difficult, can be really traumatizing for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. so can losing your religious uh, faith and your ideology and your identity. Um, so I was drawing a lot of connections there and mm-hmm. then also figuring out, well, what, how have I been working on mm-hmm. my own healing? And so there were just practical things involved, like being able to recognize and name your own losses as part of the grieving Mm. process and then are there activities we can do to be releasing some of that trauma and some of that grief and then um, how about exploring new Mm. ideologies what does that look like and feel like what are the potential dangers there and now how am I going to start building my new secular communities it won't mm. just be one community because it's not church it's not that one-stop shop mm-hmm. it's going to be like a patchwork quilt where you're collecting a growing community from other sources so i maybe have a hiking community a bird watching community a, a book club this sort of thing uh, with other secular people and then for me i have also found a lot of support within the the atheist um,
0: community mm-hmm
1: so those are some of the the steps um for my own healing and things that i've
0: done mm-hmm. yes and so i know you know going back to dr winnell so like you saw her on tv you called her and then mm-hmm. you went out so tell me about the retreat that you did her, yeah her.
1: i was so scared because uh well i'd never traveled by myself um mm-hmm. i'd only traveled with my husband and we were divorced by then uh, and so I was going to fly to um, from my area in British Columbia to Seattle, Tacoma Airport, which is a huge airport like there's mm-hmm. even a little subway to take you from place to place. It was so scary for me and then fly to uh, San Francisco from there to go to this place. Meeting where I didn't even know anybody. I'm like, what if this mm. is the cult? What if i have never heard from again? I get to oh, no. school and people eat me in their basement or something. Like, oh, no. I, I was so scared. um But I thought it was that important that I was willing to take the risk and mm. and do it. And right from the time I got there, I just felt very accepted. I could mm-hmm. tell that I was with people who could relate to my pain and and witness my pain and it it was Mm. very it's emotional and there were people at the retreat from all sorts of different backgrounds jehovah's witness Mm -hmm. mormon pentecostal baptist um so our backgrounds were different but our pain was very similar Mm, we were all grieving and all trying to figure out what next what now how can i trust myself i i trusted people for 40 years that that they were telling me the truth in the right way and and i believed it and now how do i know what i can believe so we all were you know hashing out similar things and then of course there's the whole issue of if you still have a religious family religious parents Mm -hmm. how do you come out to them as a believer uh so we were very supportive of one another um yeah, So that's kind of what the uh, and, and then she always likes to have an element of fun, something unexpected in there that's going to help you mm-hmm. spread your wings yeah. a little bit more because maybe you were very cloistered as a believer and she wants you to be experiencing new mm-hmm. things. And now <laughs> my connection with uh, Dr. Linnell, now she's a colleague. When people click the button on her website to, to for a consultation, for a 20 minute consultation, now they come to me. Oh, so it's, um, it's really a beautiful full Mm -hmm. circle uh, event for me because she's been such a powerful force in my Mm -hmm. own life and healing. And now I get to be helping others.
0: Oh, that is so, so great. It is interesting because I've definitely, I've looked on that and I've thought about doing a consultation. So that's good to know that you're on the other end. Okay. Yes,
1: yeah. 20 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's a free consultation. And then at the end, I send people Mm -hmm. uh, quite a full page by email of different resources uh, Mm. that they can be looking at. And of course, different things that might be helpful for them uh, in their own uh, Construction and reconstruction
0: mm, yes that's great and so you know i know marlene winnell she coined the term the trauma syndrome but has she done i guess more recent research on it or what is her goal for her career now at least
1: well of course she's nearing retirement um, mm-hmm. yeah she she has gone out of her way uh, to evolve as far as the mm. uh, being trauma-informed and the, mm-hmm. kind of the trauma community yeah. um, and understanding about how trauma can affect mm-hmm. us physiologically and the nervous system mm-hmm. um so I know that's been really big over the last number of years for her uh, mm-hmm. and just her her reach continues to expand since Mm. really we've seen since 2016 since the former guy became the president that's when I noticed a huge uh uptick in clients saying oh you know I can't I gotta leave my church I gotta leave my religion now Uh, who am I if I don't believe those things um and I think that's just going to keep expanding as Uh, your country really struggles with uh, Mm. Christian
0: nationalism. Yes, Mm, most definitely. Mm -hmm. And so for you, what more specific research would you like to see in the future of religious trauma?
1: Um, I wanted, I don't know as far as research goes, but what I'd like to see happen Mm -hmm. is for the concept of religious trauma and religious mm-hmm. trauma syndrome to continue pushing out into the mainstream mm. so that, you know, on Good Morning America or some show like that, they would start talking about it because yeah. and p- particularly in the United States, this is very important because you are culture has become so saturated uh, with religiosity and people mm. just expecting that it's it's normal and it's healthy, but religion is not benign. Mm. It's often mm. very pernicious with terrible, devastating impacts on people. So that's why I started the conference as well, just in mm-hmm. an effort to get people talking about it. I want more and more people to understand about it. And mm-hmm. of course, people who are still attending church and yeah. they they have a different take on it and they think well religious trauma that's maybe priests um interfering sexually with children that sort of thing mm. uh, <clears throat> otherwise their religion isn't traumatizing that's we already talked mm. about that yeah. people thinking that But I want people to be understanding the devastation Mm. of being indoctrinated as a child with Mm. the concept that you are sinful and with the idea that every damnation waits for you outside this group. So so Jewish people don't believe in hell, Mm -hmm. but Orthodox um, Jews, but they they will cut you out of the out of the community entirely. Uh, And then that's a horrible thing. Amish people, Mormon, former Mormons, former JWs, they all struggle with that Mm. being completely cut off and uh, isolated. So I want people Mm. to be talking about that and thinking about that and understanding Mm -hmm. the trauma that uh, is inherent with a lot of religious Mm. teaching.
0: Yes. And also it's interesting because psychology is something that I've decided to pursue because... I don't know it's crazy because like originally my major at bob domes like art but after using art to explore my trauma <laughs> and different things i was like oh my gosh like it took me a long time to like i said 20 years old because sadly people in indoctrinate into this environment if we are taught about trauma it's always like some kind of oh well you were sexually assaulted you were beaten we don't talk about Psychological trauma or emotional trauma mm-hmm. or mental trauma at all. And like when I actually started to learn about, okay, these are different needs that we met. And like I didn't realize, like, you know, until I learned about trauma, like you can be traumatized from things that don't happen for you or things you don't get as a child, needs that are supposed to be met. You can be traumatized um, from that. Like, you know, there's covert and overt yeah. abuse. And so learning about that and having that validation was so incredible. But um you know for me which you know I got expelled from Bob Jones my last semester of my senior year
1: oh <laughs> what a ripoff!
0: yeah um thankfully I've transferred to a, another school I've transferred three years of college so that was Excellent. really nice
1: oh I'm so glad for you
0: uh thank you and I, I started that up a few weeks ago so I, now I'll graduate in May 2023 now um Yay. so I'm excited but I completely changed major to like Cause I wanted to finish as soon as possible. So I could get onto my master's. So I'm like, okay, like I'll do a general studies major. I have a concentration in psychology to just prepare me for my master's. And so I guess, what do you think future, even like secular therapists, what do you think they need to know? Obviously they need to learn about religious trauma, but what do they, how do they help people with religious trauma? Like, have you seen a different approach that you have to take to regular trauma? Because I feel like it's such a specialized thing. What it, have you noticed at that? Yeah,
1: it is different. So it's still the, it has a lot of crossover with complex PTSD mm-hmm. because we were exposed over and over and over oh, again. it wasn't yes. just a one-time event. Mm. And then furthermore, as I mentioned, it permeates the um, society, mm, especially yes. in the United States. So it does, I think, require... A more specific understanding of the depth mm. uh, and pervasiveness of the trauma yeah. itself and the fact mm-hmm. that then those of us who are trying to receive help and recover um we still might be in a marriage or have parents mm. or relatives yeah. our, our only support system are still deeply religious and what does that look like how can recovery occur uh mm-hmm. in that context so i i think that all um all therapists counselors religious recovery consultants mm-hmm. so need to be learning about religious trauma syndrome and learning mm-hmm. about cults at large and mm-hmm. cult recovery yeah. because mm-hmm. even when we when we look at you know the q um group and oh, yeah. what we see happening with gop and the followers of
2: uh, yeah. your former
1: president there mm-hmm. um that that is very much akin to a cult, a cult mm, personality. Mm. And I mean, when he declares that he could go out in the middle of the street and shoot people uh, and, and still no yeah. no harm would come to him. Yeah, that sounds like a cult leader mm. and a cult yes. dynamic, people mm. blindly following. And of course, many of them were already prepped for this predator oh, by yes. their church involvement in their mm. religious um, training because it's mm. magical thinking as well it that's another one we haven't mm. even mm. talked
0: about oh it, yes I you know, know. <laughs> yes the magical thinking I <laughs> like it's interesting because Stephen Hassan he actually wrote a wonderful book called The Cult of Trump which oh, I recommend yes, yes. for anyone out there <laughs> to read he really really it's like a psychological analysis of Trump really of like Digging into his childhood, his family dynamics, and different environments he was in, and how that kind of shaped him to who he was, and his yes. signs—the signs of him being a cult leader.
1: Oh yeah!
0: Oh my gosh! And, and like, sorry, mm, no, it's I was all gonna good.
1: Say his podcast, T. Pastern has an excellent oh, podcast, gosh. and also there's a great podcast uh, with Dr. Rachel. I think she's a Dr. Rachel Bernstein called Indoctrination. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Clint Haycock, a good friend of mm-hmm. mine, uh, yeah. he also has one called the Mind Shift Podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's lots of great mm-hmm. podcasts out yeah. there that focus on people mm-hmm. who were yeah. trapped in fundamentalist mm-hmm. cultic environments yes. and mm-hmm. now they've left and how yeah. did they do it and what was involved mm-hmm. and what did the environment look like? What were the warning signs?
0: Yes.
1: Like? Just fantastic mm-hmm. uh, podcasts so yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah no it's funny you mentioned that i don't think i told you but i actually i work for rachel bernstein and for the indoctrination <laughs> podcast yes yeah,
1: yeah. so, that's so yeah, exciting I, I love her
0: i love her too like i was on her podcast she interviewed me back in february when i was like fresh out of so the cool. cold and so oh, wow. yeah so like for me when i left i was like where can i share my story like and and i found her podcast and that was one of them and i was like and it was one of my favorites that i was on obviously and like uh and so after i think it was like in april when she saw how vocal i was on social media and all the stuff i posted and like she had been wanting to work on her bring her podcast to the next level and her social media And like her staff reached out to me. They were like, We really love what you're doing with social media. Like, would you want to work for the indoctrination podcast and Rachel will be your boss? And I was like, Yes. (laughs)
1: Like, please.
0: Cool. Oh, wow.
1: I think I scare them off a bit because I'm so, um, I'm rather. Uh, anti-religion. I, I don't oh. promote or support religion. Mm. I I realize religion is important for mm. uh, a lot yeah. of people, and they have support. I'm here mm. to support people yeah. who mm-hmm. don't have the religious
0: yeah. support. Mm. But Got I do you. enjoy her show so much. Oh, I love it too. <laughs> and like it's it's interesting though, because when I you know I try to bring awareness to the toxicity of like cultic environments, toxic religion, spiritual abuse, mm-hmm. and I've had I've had Christians in my dm every once in a while like it's not all churches uh-huh. not all things are bad and i'm like yes. i never i'm like i never said that i'm like mm-hmm. you're making it about you like please yes. stop making it about you <laughs> Yes, and and
1: also that's yeah, that's a response where something has been triggered. Or we talked earlier Mm. about the enmeshment of identity and ideology. So they can't Mm. handle you saying something about their ideology. They Mm. misinterpret that and receive it as you saying something negative about Mm. them. And that's something for them to examine.
0: Oh yes, most definitely. And like, and anyways, they just they just accuse me of attacking religion completely, which. I really don't do. I try to bring awareness to the toxicity and mm-hmm. I always like when you know in the deconstruction world I always try to have an open mindset because it's easy to leave fundamentalism and bring fundamentalism into deconstruction.
1: Yes, yes, and I have mm-hmm. talked about that quite a bit and in fact the very last module of uh my Divorce from Religion Workshop looks at that exactly how, because we don't want to fall into Mm -hmm. uh, that binary thinking again, that very rigid Mm, authoritarian um, Mm. thinking. So, yeah, that is Mm. something to be aware of for sure. And lots of people do cult talk. They jump from one to another, yes. to another, because that's their, that's what they're comfortable with. But even as they're doing yeah. it, they don't like that. Oh no, I'm doing it again. Or I just did it again. What's what's wrong. So it's good to reach out to a secular therapist and someone familiar with cults and with religious trauma mm-hmm. syndrome to yeah. work through that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, most definitely. Um and i just had a question and it slipped my mind i and i hate it when that happens <laughs> that
1: train's um, been derailed <laughs>
0: <laughs> um actually i think let's see so we were we were talking about oh yes yeah, so like people sliding in your dms that's weird i think it was related to that i think um but no it's just interesting when yeah oh yeah so this person they were arguing with me they were like well i don't hear you say positive things about religion and i was like like what's the point like what do you want to do warn people to say oh my gosh this religion is so healthy stay away yeah yeah like yeah and then i'm like i'm like you know i I, you know when i've talked with people and different people have asked like what are your beliefs and i was like it doesn't matter because like i'm still learning and they'll always be changing all the time. Mm-hmm. Um because you know, as I learn different information. But when people ask me about religion and spirituality, I'm like, I'm like, okay, like number one, I'm like in your religion or spirituality, you should have full autonomy and be able to think that's for right. yourself. That's right. And mm-hmm. a lot of fundamentalists don't like that when I get the answer. They're like, no, you're supposed to do it this way. And like yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> no. And
1: and that's really part of the um childish mentality especially that christianity really insists on to um Mm. you know you have to come to jesus as a child that that whole thing and so that you're you're not to question it's a sin to doubt you're not to doubt Mm. anything and so that means autonomy is not welcome curiosity must be stamped out very early on in favor of obedience um mm. so it makes yeah. it hard to grow mm-hmm. in that environment yeah. you're only allowed to grow a certain way you're mm-hmm. only allowed to grow the way that they deem
0: mm.
1: appropriate yes. and correct mm-hmm. and that's just uh-huh. dangerous
0: yeah oh yeah and then now I remember what i wanted to talk about it was this is why I, I noticed this with myself and i'm just curious if you've seen this trend is the fawn trauma response to the religious trauma the fawn have you seen that a um, lot?
1: so so no, tell me exactly what you mean as far as it relates to religious trauma. The oh, yes.
0: Response. So, like, basically, yeah, fun response is like, you know, you have this mindset of constantly people pleasing and you completely yes. ignore your needs. Yes. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, I think, you know, for me personally, growing up in a cultic, fundamentalist environment, you're trained to not <laughs> consider your needs. Right. And for me, you know, I just suffered so much because I, you know, I didn't. I wasn't in touch with myself i wasn't in yeah. touch with my body or aware so like mm-hmm. i was always I'm like oh if i constantly put my needs last and constantly just do these things that please people and that's something i noticed as a trauma response even as i continued to heal of like completely putting my needs last and yeah. as a trauma response to cope just to always please others do what they want go with the flow so have you seen that with people who are like i can't set boundaries like
1: oh yeah period. absolutely and that's yeah. part of Uh, One of the issues, relationship issues with religion, Mm. especially Christianity, but uh, Abrahamic religions, is the codependency. It's baked right in there because we Mm -hmm. are expected to serve and we're always expected to offer others and Mm -hmm. put their needs ahead of our own and my god if you happen to be a woman a wife and mother Uh, i mean good luck ever uh meeting mm -hmm. your needs or getting those uh Mm -hmm. met and so we do need to talk a lot about boundaries and Mm -hmm. resiliency because we can feel so overwhelmed when we're in the space of trying to deal with our Mm. our religious trauma. But we need to remember that our our factory reset, our default Mm. is resiliency. It's not fragility. And we Mm. do feel fragile when we're completely overwhelmed by everything. But humanity has evolved through resiliency and adaptation and you are part of humanity. You can Mm -hmm. get through this, you will get through this. But there's a lot of unlearning and new learning Mm. and relearning that's involved. It's a lot of work. You can't just sit there like a lump. You have to be an active participant in your Mm. own recovery.
0: Mm, yes, most definitely. And I guess another question is like, what, how do you respond to people say, oh, well, not my religion, not my church? Like, it's so healthy. It's so what do you say?
1: Right. um I, I'm, I really, it's so frustrating to Mm. me when people have that response, but it's also so typical because I know Mm -hmm. it's that enmeshment of identity and ideology. And Mm -hmm. you can't make someone see something.
2: Mm. You can't
1: make Mm. someone learn something like we only see and learn and grow as we are ready
2: Mm, to do so.
1: So, I might ask them if they are aware of anyone who's ever left the church or mm. how, how their church, um, you know, what's their church stance on the LGBTQ community Oof, or all yeah. these different things uh, and get them thinking about, well, how do you think those, you know, young people in your church mm, who yeah. are members of the LGBTQ community that they haven't been able to come out because mm. they're so fearful? How do you think that's impacting them? So sometimes I'll go there with people Mm. and sometimes I won't because it can just be a huge monumental waste of time Mm. and energy. If they're not ready to see, they're not going to see.
0: Mm. Yes. And like, it's so interesting because for me, when people say that, Oh, well, I haven't experienced that. So this really comes from a place of like privilege.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I feel like because they, you know, a lot of people, those kind of they don't even consider that an lgbtq plus person might exist in the congregation or how that must feel or you know if it's a man they might not at all consider how women are treated in the church or even like you know children children are just their needs are just not cared for at all and a lot in the church so like and really, like you said, their identities are so unmanaged. Like even if there is trauma inside of them, they would never want to admit that to themselves because the cognitive dissonance, yeah, that, that would cause that conflict. Yes. So, like you said, it's just there are times you just have to leave it alone.
1: Yes, They're not ready. Yes, that's right. And yeah. where where do you want to spend your energy? Mm, and I feel yeah. like churches have church camps and their own church counselors and whatever else they've yeah. got a ton of support for each other mm. but people i'm there trying to catch people as they're thrown out thrown down the mm. church steps yeah. and stumble out the door and then because they're not welcome or because they're having um doubts about what's going on i'm mm. there trying to catch them at the bottom of the stairs to let them know yeah. you're not alone and i know it feels really hard and painful right now mm. uh, but you can get through it and there is Mm -hmm. it's possible to live a beautiful very meaningful life beyond religion Mm -hmm. past after religion this is the you're at a transition point you're on a threshold and it's Mm -hmm. terrifying and it's beautiful and and don't be afraid it's
0: gonna be Uh, okay yes and so as we get to the end of our interview what advice do you have uh, for people who Number one, are like on the fence. They're trapped in their environment, but they want to leave. And then also, what advice do you have for people who are just excommunicated out of nowhere and are just like you said, thrown down the church steps, basically? Right.
1: Well, I one of the most common um issues that I hear from clients who uh who have left um you know their beliefs have completely changed but they're if they haven't come out to their parents maybe they haven't even come out to their spouse as being a non-believer um so i do encourage them to consider why they want to tell you know why they want to come out and uh Make sure you have some money put aside. If you're mm. if you're a teenager living at home or whatever, even you you could be thrown out. You need yeah. to make sure you have a place to stay if, until things blow mm. over. And you you know if you've got some money put aside, that could be helpful too. You want to make sure you're mm. you're going to be safe. Um, and think about how they might receive the news. Mm. It's going to be the worst news they've ever heard besides yeah. the news of your death. So. Mm. Um, even though it's great news for you because you feel completely liberated but yes. maybe, maybe mm-hmm. don't deliver the news uh in a public place out for dinner because your mom might hysterically start crying. You know, you wouldn't, where Mm -hmm. would you like to be when you receive Deeply disturbing news. And Mm. some people really want to do it in person. Some people find it much better to write an email and craft Mm. it over and over again till they get it just right. They send it out. And then the other party has time to digest,
2: Mm. you know,
1: rather than reacting right away to their face. Um, there are different ways to do it and different reasons for doing it. Typically, mm. it's when our need for authenticity um, outweighs our need for acceptance.
0: Ah, uh, yes.
1: Right? So it's it looks different for different people. The journey is somewhat different. Uh, so mm. that's my words of encouragement for people who are considering coming out. And otherwise, I just would encourage folks, anytime they're feeling judgment rise up within mm. them, to try their best to get curious, swap judgment for curiosity as mm-hmm. often as you can. Yeah. It will open your world. You're allowed to be curious about yourself. Why mm-hmm. am I reacting like this? i be curious about someone else. I wonder why they reacted that way. That's mm-hmm. really interesting to me. And just to consider life as a giant yeah. buffet table. Fundamentalism would have mm-hmm. you starve to death at that yes. buffet table. Mm. But we don't have to. We're not under the no. restrictions of fundamentalism anymore. So you can try a bite of every dish, and some you'll go mm. back for seconds and thirds, and some you might spit into your napkin, and you don't like yes. it. And you don't even have to judge it. You mm. can just say, well, that was an experience and move on. We're just here mm-hmm. gathering experiences, collecting experiences and then one day we're gone. We're not here anymore. Yeah. So you don't have to judge these things with moral uh judgments. And also I want to encourage people spend time doing values clarification exercises. when we move away from being belief oriented, we mm-hmm. must become values oriented. And so you can do values clarification exercises and see what were my top values when I was religious? Well, you know, obedience, truth, you know, blah, blah, blah. My top value now is autonomy. That's what's mm, the most
2: important to me. Yeah. So it's,
1: you're getting to know yourself, you're rebuilding your new your new identity, your secular identity. Spend time on values clarification.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, it's so powerful and so inspirational. Thank you so much um, for coming on this show. I have greatly enjoyed this conversation and i guess one last thing is like what is the best way for people to see you on social media
1: sure um people can find me on twitter i'm mm-hmm. at wise underscore counselor and counselor mm-hmm. has two l's because that's how we spell it in canada mm-hmm. and i'm also at divorce religion so mm-hmm. those are on um yes twitter and uh, i have some websites i have uh and shamelesssexuality.org. I wanna remind mm-hmm. um, your listeners to consider mm-hmm. attending that Shameless Sexuality, Life After mm-hmm. Purity Culture online conference mm-hmm. coming up in October. It's just gonna be a fantastic um, mm-hmm. weekend, yes. very helpful for a lot of mm-hmm. people. Uh, and they can just find me on Facebook, Janice Selby, just as myself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
1: those are the main ways. I'm on mm-hmm. TikTok also as Janice Selby.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And then you said you have a workshop also,
1: right? I do. Yes. Um, actually my website for, uh, counseling and consulting mm-hmm. and the workshop is divorcing-religion.com mm-hmm. divorcingreligion.com yeah. and people can learn about my online workshop mm-hmm. there and they can uh, secure my services for religious recovery mm-hmm. consulting thank mm-hmm. you for re- reminding me of that
0: no it's all good because it's like that's something I will might take advantage of when I get the money because like finding those online resources to help you work for that, like through that is so crucial i feel yes. like for people and like i would definitely i'll put that link to the workshop and then show notes that, and all your social media true.
1: thank you and yeah. people can just buy mm-hmm. people can buy just the workbook if they want yeah oh that's workshop. cool uh okay. you know they don't have to attend the um mm-hmm. the workshop so yeah there's some different options there oh, okay. and certainly Perfect. you can go to journeyfree.org and click the free consultation button mm-hmm. and then you'll have an appointment set up to chat with me for 20 minutes and see what we uh, can do
0: yes that's That's great. Thank you again so much for coming on this show and sharing your experiences. And, and, you know, it's incredible to see where you are now and how you're thriving in your autonomy and you're helping helping other people find that. Um, But is there any last thing you would like to say before we end this interview?
1: I would like to um, let your listeners know that even though uh, my husband and I did divorce, my he went on to deconstruct from his faith, as did mm-hmm. our daughters, and wow. so we are still a very tight, friendly, supportive mm-hmm. unit. I've, I've remarried um, now, and but I'm still very mm-hmm. close and friendly uh, with my former um, husband, and you can your life can look the way that you mm-hmm. want it to look the way that yeah. you work to make it look and feel. Yeah. I want people to be encouraged. There is a great mm-hmm. life available after religion.
0: Oh yes, Most definitely. Thank you everyone to listening. This is speaking up with Andrew Pledger.
1: That was great.
0: I'm struggling to see. So I'm like, <laughs> thank you for listening to speaking up with Andrew Pledger. Your support is much appreciated. Please leave a review and share with friends and family. And if you can, please support me on Patreon, and the link is in my description. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger.